And now, it's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 247 of the Lace Them Up podcast. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Tuboff. Today is a very special episode. Typically, we talk about uh, the news of the day, mostly around the NHL and uh, around the hockey scene as well. We have never done a hockey prospect interview until today. And joining us on the show is a 2017 draft pick of the Detroit Red Wings by the name of Jack Adams, who uh, was born in uh, Boxford, Massachusetts, uh, 23 years old. A very big guy and um, someone that uh, is very kind and generous with his time and uh, is uh, able to join us today. So, uh, Jack, welcome. Thanks again for your time. And uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, um, if you might. Yeah, thanks again for having me on, guys. Um, yeah, well, we'll get into the, all the X and O's of, of course. my career happen. But um, as of right now, our season at Union College just got canceled. So uh, I'm actually transferring to Providence College and I joined the guys uh, the 19th of December, so in around two weeks. So I'm just getting ready at home right now with my family and my trainers and my skating coaches and getting in good shape so I can be ready to go. But um, other than that, yeah, it's just excited to be on with you guys. Yeah, no, we're happy to have you here. And, you know, I, I remember when we first started this podcast, I was just thinking like, oh, it would be cool to get an NHL player or any player at any level. And, and we had just achieved our that that goal five years later, so it's uh, definitely cool to have someone on who um, has a pretty good shot at, at making it into the NHL. So that's that's got to be exciting. Um, so yeah, let's let's get into it here. We have a couple, a lot of questions here for you. So um, without further ado, here <laughs> here's the first question we have here is. Uh, who inspired you to play hockey, and at what age did you start playing hockey? Uh, I think I was four or five, probably. Um, my brother and my and my uh, dad are definitely my two biggest role models in the game. Uh, my brother Rue uh, was played for the Islanders, Malden Catholic, USHL, college, uh, and pro. So I kind of followed his footsteps all the way through, and then trained with him in the off season and watched the way he prepared and developed a professional and the way he ate and slept and trained and worked out. So he was a great role model for me on and off the ice. And my dad was the one who was always pushing me and always uh, making me better with tough love and hardship and, you know, busting my ass. So um, he was always the one really, you know, pushing me and believing in me from a young age. And um, so, yeah, right around five years old, my brother and my dad, the two biggest guys that really, you know, made my career go forward and forward. Yeah. That makes sense. Starting the work ethic at a young age. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So it's it's definitely uh, it's tough. That, it's tough that age to sometimes find motivation and find that drive. But you know, my dad and brother were really always you know pretty hard on me in a good way, and it really you know helped me along. Right, I didn't really understand it back then, but I'm pretty grateful now that they were the way they were with me back then. So. And um, I, I'm just kind of, like, uh, curious, like, would would you say, like, you followed, like, the NHL? Were you guys, like, uh, rank rats, hockey nuts, where you, you, you just talk about, um, like, offense, defense, like, different teams and whatnot, like, the hockey family in, like, every sense of the word? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, like, at that age, I was, I was never a big kid who believed in, like, video games or television. I, I, I kind of I hate that, to be honest. I think it's stupid. But I was really <laughs> big into just, like, playing, like – 
every yeah. time, every time my brother Rue had a game, I'd always like bring my rollerblades and stick and stick in the lobby and all the parents thought it was a riot, but I was just pretty OCD and serious about it. And even when he was when he was younger, I was go to his practices and all his games and you know talk to the coaches, my dad. So I was definitely a hockey from a young age. And I think as I've gotten older, I've definitely you know grown more appreciation for stuff like you talked about other players in the NHL and. I think like being a pretty division one athlete, you we talk hockey quite a bit in the locker room in our dorms and away from the rink. So as you're around the game, um, at higher levels, you know, you're pretty, you know, surrounded by a bunch of meetings and film sessions and all, all this kind of stuff all the time. It gets pretty hectic, but you also yeah. sort of love the game as well and appreciate it. So at, the, at a young age, I was definitely, uh, you know, always playing, but now I'm definitely more um, of a student of the game for sure. Great. Now, you uh, grew up not too far from Boston, a city that's obviously home to the Angels Bruins, an original six franchise with a lot of history, and a lot of great players, Bobby Orr being one, uh, have played for that team. Uh, did you have a favorite hockey player growing up, and is there a player that uh, you model your game after? Uh, growing up, was definitely Bobby Orr, and he was, I'm definitely a, um, a historian of hockey, so I love following the old days, and Bobby Orr is uh, actually my agent. So oh, nice. we're actually uh, we're pretty close. We talk weekly, obviously. So um, him and his son Darren are always in charge of my hockey and stuff going forward, and you know, watching over my path. So I've known Bobby since I was like five or six years old, and he's been a mentor for me since day one. And um, watching the way he changed the game of hockey was definitely a uh, you know, huge reason why I played. So he was obviously amazing. But I think like now today's uh, Corey Crew is one of my best friends in life. So I'd probably say he's a guy that. You know, I like to model his work ethic. But obviously, he's five eight and I'm six six, so I can't really model yeah. his game that much. But uh, if a guy I'd model now, I'd probably say like a, a Mark Stone type on Vegas. I love the way he shoots the puck and he skates for a big guy. So I think he's the guy I like to emulate the most. But I've always been a huge Bobby Orr and Tory Group fan for sure. Well, you just listed. Uh, t- well, so first off, I'm a huge Bruins fan, and Steve's a huge Senators fan. So you just. Uh, made you made us like you more uh just by <laughs> by those answers there um it says on uh so that goes into this next question here pretty good because you listed two defensemen here but um but you're you know obviously you're a center and a right winger were these positions that you prefer to play growing up and like would you consider playing defensemen we had an episode a couple of weeks ago is like thinking of like forwards turning into defensemen and defensemen turning into forwards like um is there a main difference between playing a wing a center that we as fans might not know about uh yeah there's a huge difference between playing the middle and the wing um i i, I grew up always playing center and then i actually went to defense for one year and i, I hated it so I, I, I like scoring and making plays so i went back to the uh the offensive side of the game, but when it comes to like playing center and wing, there's just there's huge differences with positioning, especially in D zone coverage. When you know the, the center is kind of like kind of that third defenseman, hypothetically, he's the one who's always playing down low and covering the guys in front of the net, and the, the winger is more responsible for the weak side D and slot areas. So um, I don't think most fans would realize that, but when you actually get to higher level and higher levels, you realize you know centers have a lot more responsibilities with facilitating the puck up the ice and covering guys down low and 
uh, have access to text in the D zone. But as a winger, you know, it's pretty responsible as well, covering your D man to make sure he's not, you know, swimming around you behind you. So, right. um, winger is probably more north south, where center is more, you know, east west. Right. Say, but defensively, centers have a lot more responsibilities for sure. Do you prefer center or? Uh, I don't, I, to be honest, I don't really care. I mean, I'm definitely more comfortable winning it because I played more in the last five, six years, but I could take face-offs and right. play defense of my size down low, but either way, I'm, I don't really care, to be honest. I see. Wherever the coach tells you to play, you'll play, right? Exactly. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, so, uh, after playing three years at Molden uh, Catholic High School, you went to the USHL for two years with the Fargo Force. Um, yeah. It says in Elite Prospects that you were actually drafted in 2013 by the Chicago Steel in the 25th round. Two years later, after your third year at Malden Catholic, you were drafted by the Fargo Force in the fifth round. You played two years for them. Uh, what was that experience like for you? And uh, speaking of transitioning in different levels, how hard was that transition from Malden um, Catholic to the USHL? Yeah, I guess the first part of your question, um, Chicago, I didn't even know I got drafted. I was like, I got drafted like 2 in the morning, 25th round, and I didn't even pick. So that was, yeah, it was cool at that age, but I didn't really expect much out of it. I didn't even know they had 25 rounds then. Yeah, yeah they have a lot. So many, so many players that age group, but my brother actually played Chicago, so I guess I had like some kind of small expectation uh, maybe, but not much. So when that happened, um, I saw that, but uh no, then I went to Boston Catholic, got a good experience. I won a few state championships, but um, I went to my first USHL camp back in 20, 2014 with the uh, Chicago Steel, and it was a tough transition. It was, I was definitely not ready. I was still going in my body, and then the following year I got drafted, excuse me, drafted by Fargo and then went to camp. And, um, you know, I didn't have much expectations. I thought that I would make the team, but didn't expect. I thought I was going to go back for my senior season in the Catholic, but I had a better camp than expected and um, made the roster. But that uh, that first year was really difficult. It was uh, probably the hardest adjustment of my life going from high school. To, it's, it's a lot harder going from high school to USHL to USHL to college because it's just so much faster. And, and caught in, uh, in high school, your game's pretty immature and you're making, you know, immature plays and not really being responsible on the D side of the puck. And then, USHL, you get that, you know, I guess that first year is kind of that, that whole entire development year. That first half is very difficult, but I'm really excited I had that first year in my belt because it really helped me, uh, you know, leap in my second year. I had a pretty good year, I thought. So if I hadn't, if I hadn't had that first year, I wouldn't have had that pretty successful year for sure. Mm-hmm. And that successful second year uh, was instrumental in getting you drafted. 37 goals in uh, 56 games. Um, and your teammates with Blake Lazan. There were a lot of NHL prospects like Ely Tolvanen played in the league that season. Andre Sveshnikov, who's with Carolina now, played uh, that season. And you led the league in goals, so a lot was clicking for you then. Yeah, I, I definitely uh, give a lot of credit to Blake Lazan and Hank Carl. We, we had a pretty special line. We just complimented each other very well. Um, I was, it was my job to get in front of the net and put the puck in the net and Blake and Hank just found me. So we were all like best friends off the ice, which I, uh, I've always been a huge believer and you play the best of the guys you're close with off the ice. Yeah. And, um, Blake and I are still best friends this day. We talk, he came and visited me this year for a week and we played golf every day. So we got buddies off the ice too. And, um, that was a special year, man. It was, it was uh, the first half was, it was fun. I had a lot of points, but I didn't really 
the same point that the draft in the second half, the draft stuff really, really heated up, and that spring was crazy hectic with meeting a bunch of teams in person for dinners, and those draft meetings are pretty stressful. They they know your entire history, so you got to be prepared, obviously. But then, uh, you know, draft day happened, and it was just it was an amazing day for sure. Yeah, I guess we're getting into that. Uh, so after your two seasons in the USHL. Uh, you were drafted by the Detroit Red Wings. Um, I think, what, well, I mean, we're curious about a lot of this stuff, but I think we're both curious about what was the inter- interview process like and what, like, did you know that the Red Wings were uh, going to draft you before it happened? Uh, I guess the first part of your question, the interviews were tough. Like, it was a lot of, a lot of, like, hypothetical questions. I remember, like, the Tampa Bay Scott, I think it was, uh, back when I was from was there was asking me all these like hypotheticals like if you're at a party and like you see a bunch of guys drinking like, would you go join them or would you go home so <laughs> well, they're thinking deep eh yeah, yeah it's like, like questions like that to try and like try and try and test you obviously and they try and throw you off your feet a little bit by asking random stuff like so I get it they're trying to make you think on your feet and I respect the process but um it was definitely a little much, I thought. But for Detroit, uh, I didn't talk to them until the day before the draft. Interesting. Uh, I had no idea. They're, 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 I probably talked to them the least of everybody, but the conversation went so well. And um, they told me I was going to get picked regardless. So I kind of had some kind of idea that maybe they would be interested, but they weren't. I didn't talk to them nearly as much as other teams. So um, I'm happy that they've been amazing to me. But, no, it was uh, a very brief, a very co- positive conversation. Yeah, that's interesting. I, yeah, I, I was thinking like, oh, maybe they did show more interest in it than other teams, but that's I guess they they were like, oh, you're you're available in the sixth round, might as well. Yeah, definitely. But no, it was it was uh, the guy's name is Len Quenville. He he's a uh, he's a assistant coach at PU now. He's a great guy, and oh. he was uh, a really big uh, reason why I got picked. And then they've been amazing to me the last three four years, my development. So hopefully I can. You know, I'll be a Red Wing someday in your future. Yeah, we're we're hoping for you. <laughs> yeah. Right, for sure. yeah, you got you got two big fans here already, and and just so you know, another thing that you and Mark Stone have in common, both of you guys were drafted in the sixth round. So there you go. Well, that's kind of funny, thing, Mark Stone, because uh, when I got drafted, Tyler Wright, the uh, Tyler Wright was the director of amateur scouting at the time. I was in Edmonton, but he called me and said, "I want you to be Mark Stone," because he actually drafted Mark Stone beforehand. Oh, wow. So Mark Stone and I were both drafted late, uh, both drafted later draft years. You had three years of draft. I think he was a later later uh, draft year, too, and he said our skating was pretty similar at the time and both have pretty similar skill sets. So he's a guy I emulate on and off the ice. So if I can be you know, half the player he is, I'll be pretty lucky. Yeah, Mark Stone's a pretty good player. Uh, so uh, sticking with the draft theme, uh, did the Red Wings tell you specific, specifically why they drafted you and uh, what they wanted to see from you to improve, and also have you talked to um, some of the famous Red Wings players of the past? Because they have like Steve Eisman, Nicholas Lindstrom, a lot of history like the Bruins do. Yeah, uh, I guess probably goal. I think goal scoring. I think I think it's hard to find goal scorers nowadays, especially with size. Yep. So I think that makes mm-hmm. me a pretty unique prospect, obviously, because it's so hard to score nowadays. And I think I've always been blessed with some touch. So. I think that's probably my, my uh, hopefully my job going forward as a guy who can be reliable between her feet, but also put the puck in the net. So I guess that would be my role, uh, hopefully the next level. But um, to your question about 
Yeah, they have, a, they have a bunch of history in Detroit. Obviously, obviously, uh, I've gained a relationship with Steve Eisman. He's, he's a GM now in Detroit. Uh, I had a Zoom call with Nick Cronwell last spring. That's cool. I met I met Ted Lindsay uh, two years ago at Detroit. I had a, I had a phone call with Scotty Bum in the spring actually. So yeah, um, it, no, it's been a pretty you know humbling experience being a part of this great organization. So hopefully I can uh, have a good season. Uh, the second half and, you know, hopefully uh, end up there. Yeah, that's that's cool, yeah, that you have a bunch. I guess that that's an advantage that teams like the Red Wings have on all the other ones is just having, like, legends, j- just having the chance to talk to prospects, and it's just a carryover situation, so that's pretty cool. Um, I have a couple of friends who are, like, I'm in a lot of fantasy hockey leagues, and we're very into NHL prospects and stuff. So when I told them I was interviewing you, uh, they marveled at how you were six six. And uh, there's one person who has this theory that like larger players uh, take longer to develop just because like physical wise, physicality wise. Uh, do you think there is any truth to that, or like I mean, I'm not. I'm just curious about what your thoughts are on that. Oh, your your friend are hundred percent. It's a hundred percent fact for sure. Uh, they they told me I was gonna get a project when I got drafted. Yeah, I'm I'm a I think I'm a, I'm a complete 360 from or 180 from when I got picked three years ago. But my game's so much different now, and I went from like 190 to 220. So um, it 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 takes so much longer. It's it's a lot harder to be consistent when you're bigger because you need all your muscles firing, and it's just, you get, it's it's science, man. You got bigger limbs and course, bigger yeah. bones. It's harder to get more going. But when you, when you are growing, you're that much better because you can't stop a guy who's that much bigger with that much reach and size and hold onto the puck. So right, um, no, you ask any like high and high level hockey scout or coach or GM, I'll tell you for sure. Like bigger guys always take longer, but once they get there, they're that much better. Nice. Yeah, I'm I'm a six five person. Obviously, I'm not a hockey player, but it's uh, <laughs> I, I I guess it it does make sense when you think of it like scientifically. It's like, oh yeah, it, it would make sense that they have to develop in your, into your body. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. No, yeah, it, def- it takes a while, man. But I mean, like I said, you know, I'm definitely think that uh, I've worked on other areas of my game. I think most big guys, uh, you know, Tori Krug always tells me that you know, bigger guys have to prove they can't play. So I think a lot of your guys, you know, get chances because of their size. So um, hopefully I can, you know, take advantage of that and, you know, make make a name for myself. Now, uh, speaking of height, um, I'm not even six foot. Um, and if I was probably like in the pro, I'd probably be like one of like the shorter guys and would probably be picked on for like how short I was. You know, hockey trips thing, right? Um, but... Have you received any clever chirps about your height at any level? Um, what's what, any that stand out in your mind in particular? Uh, I've been called a giraffe quite a bit. <laughs> like funny. a leaf feeder, but no, I don't. I don't. I actually, I never chirp on the ice personally. I think it's hilarious. I just when I get because yeah. like I, I'm definitely like more profiled, I guess, and taller. So um, right. I get I get on a lot, but I, I kind of just laugh. I think it's funny. I think they get more pissed at you when you laugh at them, but they want you yeah. to sit back and get off your yeah. game. So I've ever since I've looked, I've never responded. I always get my head down and laughed at them. That gets them more mad, honestly. So um, that's my science behind it, I guess. But no, I guess the giraffe one's pretty common. It's, I, mean, I just laugh <laughs> at this point. It's so stupid, but I mean, it is what it is. 
I assume the ultimate, chirp, yeah. the ultimate chirp back is they chirp you the next shift you score a goal. Right. Yeah. That happened. That happened my sophomore year at St. Lawrence. It was like uh, we we're playing St. Lawrence, and I was just one kid just would not leave me alone. I was <laughs> I, I, I didn't even know who he was, and then like they. Uh, I scored off the face off, and then just like I, I, he was on the ice, went behind, like tapped the back of his jersey, like asked him what his name was. I didn't know who he was. And I don't <laughs> think he was like, you know. pulled the before he did. Yeah, yeah, I don't think he liked doing too much, but no, it was just, it was all clean fun, but no, I've never yeah. been a huge believer, and I kind of like, like, like to, uh, like, let your game talk about. for you. Yeah. 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 That, I, I, I would imagine most tall players get like the giraffe comment or whatnot, and, it seems oh, like yeah, the the good. yeah the leaf eater the giraffe all that right, right, right. fun though it's all good <laughs> yeah. and I guess that's all you can do is just laugh at it so that's oh, definitely yeah. of course uh, so uh, so now we're talking about you taking the uh, a jump into another league from the USHL to the NCAA uh, where you played for a Union College um, how was that transition like compared to the other transition from the USHL to your uh, Melbourne Catholic High School. Um, it was an easier transition, but harder at the same time because I think like I think it was mentally more difficult because the expectations were so high on me after you know the year I had in Fargo and getting drafted. Mm-hmm. Everyone assumed I was going to be like, the guy and come and lead the league in scoring. It's just not that easy. And you know I struggled my first year. Uh, coach was really hard on me. Uh, he's, you know, it was, it was a tough transition. The upper class were great with me. They really mentored me and told me that, like you said, bigger guys, it takes a bit. And they were really, you know, helpful and supportive. But it was a really, you know, I had a pretty decent year numbers wise for the ice time I had. I don't know if I wasn't in the greatest position uh, on the team wise as a freshman. No freshman are. It's a tough transition to play as a freshman in college hockey. But, um, no, it was a it was a good learning experience. It was kind of my first year in Fargo again. Canada's getting better, getting bigger, getting stronger. But I had a great year in the weight room that year. A great spring that uh, that led, led to my sophomore season. Nice. Yeah, and uh, talking about uh, your sophomore year, um, twenty two points in thirty eight games uh, in your freshman season. You had thirteen points in uh, twenty eight games. Uh, what do you think was uh, the reason uh, behind that progression? Was it getting into the style of playing the league? Was it um, tips from your coaches getting used to the offensive, the defensive scheme, stuff like that? I think it was a, a collaboration of a bunch of different factors. Um, you know, I, I I put a lot of emphasis on my, own, on my own game and taking some pride and looking in the mirror. I knew that I had to make some changes to keep developing. And I, I just, I, I killed myself that spring off the ice. I worked so hard. And um, I, I think it paid off. I mean, I had a pretty good year, uh, my sophomore year, and we had a really good team and had some good linemates. And it was, it was a bunch of fun. We had a lot of you know great wins and played in the Belfast Frozen uh, Friendship Four tournament, which was a blast. Won that, uh, won the Mayor's Cup. So it was, it was a special year. You know, we obviously I think we didn't reach expectations that we should have. To be honest, you know, we had some things that got in our way that it's unfortunate, but. Um, yeah, it was definitely a bunch of different things. Coach Bennett was great with me and gave me a lot of opportunity and um, worked me a lot of stuff behind the scenes as well. Our other assistant coaches, John Rohn and Jason Tapp. And, um, it was a fun year, and I think that I take a lot of credit goes to our strength coach as well, Dan Gilman, who was did a lot of stuff with me the whole entire freshman spring with workouts that I honestly think really you know paid off in my sophomore year. But I think just knowing the system and 
have more confidence the biggest reason why it's at that big jump. Now, there are, there are like, NHL teams uh, or players in particular that uh, use, like, skating coaches. Do you have, like, coaches, like, that specifically work on, uh, like, skating, shooting, like, the, the two-way game, like, like, even, like, just outside of, like, the practice hours? And which of those do you think you really focus on the most? Uh, yeah, I, I've always, I've worked with Paul Vincent since I was, like, six or seven years old. He's always been my mm-hmm. skate coach, so he's been, uh... Yeah, pretty helpful with me in my career. He's been a like kind of like a grandfather, honestly. He's been an amazing, supportive uh, piece of my life on and off the ice. He's been awesome. But I've always been a huge believer in doing extra things away from the rink. You know, I, I still even I'm 23 years old and I'm home. I still stay kind of my garage, you know, daily. So I just think that that muscle memory is so important. I've always been pretty blessed with having pretty good skill and pretty good hands, but. I've always been a huge believer too. You got to keep working on your strength and keep making those things elite because at the next level to play in the NHL, you have to have, you know, one or two elite attributes that separates you from the pack. So, I think my hands and my uh, my scoring can do that. So I've always tried to, you know, take pride in that and always work on my skating. My skating's you know come a long way since high school, and I keep working, it'll only get better. Nice. Uh, so then we get to this past season where uh, unfortunately you tore your ACL and MCL and force you off out of the ice for the whole year as you recover. Um, you do have a podcast where you talk about, you know, recovering um, and coming back onto the ice. It's called Athletes Over Adversity, where you interview athletes like Tori Krug, Matt Grizzlick, and, of course, Bobby Orr, um, so uh, about how they have overcome adversity. Um, what has kept you motivated while you've been out? And, um, and yeah, I, I guess you can take us through uh, coming up with this podcast too. Yeah, I think just like, uh, I think just like my love for the game, you know, I've always uh, been, I, I always feel like I'm a little kid when I'm at the rink. I just, I love the game so much and I always feel like I'm a seven year old trying to score goals and have fun and smile. That's always, always been my mindset. And you know, honestly, after, uh, after missing this year, I didn't realize, you know, how much I missed it and how much I loved the game, honestly. Um, being away from it, I, I actually stayed home this year and did all my rehab back in Boston, not at school. And uh, that was that was really difficult being away from my teammates, some of my best buddies, but it was the right thing to do for my development and my knee. And uh, it, was, it was tough. It was when all your buddies are out there playing, you know, BCBU, you're at your home, you know, icing your leg. And it was, it was probably the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life, you know, physically. Yeah. Um, other things happen in my family life, but this was this was really uh, a tough situation. But it, I I just learned to love the game so much, and um, now now I'm I'm up every day at six in the morning going to the gym and getting on the ice shortly after that. So my appreciation has just has grown so much, and I think I've honestly become a better player because of it. And then all these experiences kind of led to me and my trainer Marco Sanchez making this podcast athletes over adversity my sister our producer katie nice. and um it's been a pretty cool experience you know we're, we're gonna start season two next spring i don't i don't want to do it during the season when i have more often we'll do it but right. uh, it's just it's nice talking to people who are pretty mm-hmm. successful up here and that you know they've had you know obstacles to overcome because i don't think they'll realize that the most successful people often are the ones that have the uh most adversity in their life so hopefully yeah. people can hear that and give them influence to uh you know keep working nice no 
couple of uh, questions on the rehab front. So what have you really like focused on like in, in terms of like the rehab prospects? Because like the torn ACL and the torn MCL, that's a lot to overcome. So like what have you like um, you really focused on in terms of like the recovery standpoint? Like what's the emphasis been on trying to recover from an injury like that? Um, it's a pretty loaded question. Uh, <laughs> there's so many factors, Steve, you know what I mean? But mm-hmm. I think honestly, like the mental components probably the biggest hurdle you have to grasp. Yeah. I, I had no confidence in my knee in the very few, first few months. And I think everyone else goes through that same process too. Like my knee was very strong and it was stable and it was fine. It was just like, when you go through something that's that traumatic, I think that, you know, any athlete would struggle to, you know, feel the way they used to feel. So I put, I think as I get, you know, getting farther and farther away from my surgery date, I got more confidence because I was reassured with all the work that I put in. And I think that, you know, it's, it's important to, you know, develop other areas while you can. So for me, I've always been a pretty, you know, lankier, taller athlete. And this whole entire process has allowed me to reform, you know, transform my body into uh, something I believe is, you know, very physically dominant now. And, you know, I put a lot of, uh, emphasis on my upper body and uh my strength up top and i think i've really you know transformed that area and i've also you know worked a lot on my hands and my shot this whole entire year i've had so much free time away from the rink that i had to really keep up my skill and everything that's that's my bread and butter so um i worked a lot on that but i with my knee for it i just the biggest thing is confidence like it's you, you you have to like do the rehab and do all the work and put the work in but you have to also you know go over that mental hurdle which is definitely the biggest hurdle to go over yeah and then on top of that there's the hurdle that a lot of people didn't expect which was the ongoing pandemic uh COVID-19 happened in March um a lot of things uh, particularly here in Canada where I live like everything was closed for like the first five to six weeks um how was the pandemic um affected your rehab routine um what things have you had to adjust to kind of get around that yeah i mean it's obviously the whole pandemic is terrible like i don't yeah i don't agree with people having to shut their businesses down i feel so bad for people losing their jobs and their livelihoods i mean i think it's, yeah. it's so it's so heartbreaking to see people right. that. but that's, that's a different subject obviously but, yeah. Um, yeah 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 I would, it's, it's tough to see my, my not being able to see my grandparents as much because she's 80 so it's just it's been a tough situation for all of us not any not no in particular it's the humanitarian issue and yeah it, so how deep this has got i think none of us back in march expected to get like this you know what i mean and yeah it's rough, but to be honest like personally like i didn't change that much because i was you know at home you know the entire year yeah like, all my buddy all my buddies were at school and doing their things and uh, at class and the games where I was at home every night with my parents, my family. So I kind of got immune to, you know, staying home quite a bit more than I would typically do in my lifetime. And so not much really changed for me. That's why, that's why I kind of had like an advantage in the beginning and guys were calling me like, Hey, like, how do you, you know, do this? It's so challenging. <laughs> People are asking you for advice. Yeah, I me talking to guys. Cause that, that, that first few months from, you know, after my, my surgery was, you know, it was horrible and it was really, uh, you know mentally draining but i think you have to come into a routine but luckily in massachusetts uh physical therapy was was considered an essential you know business so i was allowed to do my stuff every day i had to wear a mask obviously and stuff but i was able to keep on my rehab and my trainer had a gym in his garage so i basically quarantined like with him and his wife so it was uh 
it was it was I was luckily able to you know stay on top of all my all my stuff and my training and everything like that. But for a lot of guys, like a lot of my friends had no gym equipment, and a lot of my buddies in Canada couldn't do anything, which I feel terrible for. But it's just they're out of our situation, so hopefully we can get a vaccine and get on their lives. Yeah, I, I think that seriously. I think there's optimistic hope now of the last couple of weeks, but yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, that is interesting that you, like, you didn't have to change much just because you were already out for the year already. So that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, definitely. It's, it's been a, yeah. it's been a tough role, but I think all of us see light in the tunnel. So we just got to keep, you know, being diligent and, you know, uh, we'll get through this and yeah. we'll, we'll be happy soon. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get through this. Um, so you mentioned at the beginning very recently that you, uh, transferred to Providence college. Um, and you, you also said that it was because unions not playing this year. Was there other reasons to picking Providence College? Do you even have a choice or was it, um, yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a pretty, you know, I, we, we got our, we, we, you know, were led on to believe the entire spring and summer that we were going to play. Uh, that's what our coaches, our AD was telling us. And then obviously they, they came together and made a decision that was best in trust of the school, the student body, and the community. And we, you know, we respected, understood it because you know they put a lot of hours in the decision. And of course, I told totally respected. You know, they're it's an amazing administration. We have a union, and again, I put a tweet out a few weeks ago that I would be a Dutchman for life. So it was extremely difficult leaving there, but I had to, uh, for the best interest of my career going forward and my academic and hockey stuff, I had to make a change. And right. I ended the transfer portal, and it was. Uh, it was a pretty hectic week. I didn't, I didn't expect to get as many calls as I did. And I got a lot of pressure from different schools and a lot of alumni reached out from different schools. So I was on my phone like 11, 12 hours a day. And it was, it was exhausting. I was up every day until two in the morning, you know, doing research myself and watching film these to where the te- way these teams played and everything. But uh, in the back of my mind and my heart, I always wanted to be a friar. My, my brother Rue actually played there in 20, nice. uh, 2011 and 2015 on the national championship team. So I first again got to see you know how special a program Providence is and um, you know, how much their program has grown. They have an amazing resources that most you know schools in the country don't have. So honestly, uh, as much as this situation sucks with Union, I think it might you know end up being an amazing opportunity for me to get in the play with some elite hockey players and an elite staff and uh, amazing resources to you know equate my game for the next level. Hopefully, yeah. No. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Steve. Well, I was just um, looking at uh, Providence's team last year, and that team was led by Jack Dugan, who's turned pro with Vegas, but they still have guys like Tice Thompson, Patrick Moynihan, and Michael Callahan on it. So still a pretty good uh, team on paper that uh, you're joining as well, not just the program, but also the team's pretty good as well. Yeah, and I think that's the biggest reason why I chose Providence was the opportunity to play with good players. You know, me and Tyser have gotten pretty close the last few weeks. He was re- me to come to Providence and um, hopefully, you know, I can just compliment these guys. You know, these guys have all won, won, won before and they've all been uh, played in the Frozen Four and have played in big games and have had success as well. So I'm going to come in there and, you know, stay humble and try and learn from these guys because, you know, they've all experienced winning and I want to be a part of that culture because, you know, as much as, uh, you know, as much as you think you're good, you got to go in there with a humble attitude and learn from guys that experience the culture of Broadway. So they have an amazing group of guys to play with, and that's honestly what I'm so excited about. Yeah, well, we're definitely both rooting for you right now. You're 
you added two fans here, although um, <laughs> I'm sure we you have We were fans before this interview. Yeah, I should say that yeah. too. Yeah, I guess yeah, I worded that weirdly. They're playing on Nesson at 7 o'clock for Boston College. Okay, cool. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I was going to – I'm craving hockey right now, so I'll, uh, <laughs> it gives me even more and more motivation to watch uh, college hockey yeah, now. So, um, yeah, it should be fun. Um and I think that those are all the questions that we have for you right now. Um, and we appreciate your time coming on here. And um, yeah, we're, we're like, like I just said, we're, we're both rooting for you. Um, well, I, I appreciate it guys. And uh, all you guys have a great show and you guys are going to come back on the future. Just send me a message and I'll definitely uh, look forward to it. Yeah. Yeah. We love it. And uh, we, we hope everything for you, all the best to you as well. Um, and yeah, we look forward to watching you play. I appreciate that, man. All right. Um, I guess we can close the show right now. Uh, <laughs> I, so you get our, uh, our Twitter is lace up podcast. Our Facebook is lace them up and, uh, you can listen to us on SoundCloud and Spotify at lace them up. Um, and, and wherever else you get your podcasts. This was uh, definitely a fun um, podcast, definitely a special episode for us here. And uh, again, thank you for your time, Jack. Uh, we really appreciate it. Of course, guys. Thanks for having me. Yes. Before we close the book uh, there, Jack, uh, where can people find you and where can uh, people uh, follow the podcast you're a part of? Uh, Twitter is just embarrassing, but it's J underscore <laughs> Danglefest2. <laughs> I made that when I was 13. I love it. Black. And then uh, my Instagram is uh, J underscore two Adams. So J underscore two Adams. And then uh, you type in Athens or reverse you Twitter and Instagram. That'll come up. Cool. Excellent. Thanks again for your time, Jack. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Dubuff. And we'll talk yeah. again. Episode 248 of the Lace Up Podcast. <laughs>